to What Divines Us. I'm Rabbi Abram Goodstein. I'm Reverend Matthew Schultz. Uh, and we're here. We're post-holidays. Whew. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> Are you not out of it yet, Matt? Well, here's the deal. Uh, we have a long run-up called Advent. If so, that's you know that's a few weeks of stuff. It's not entirely festive as Advent, but then, yeah, we have Christmas Eve, which we have a multitude of services. But then also, that is my wife's birthday. At- Christmas Eve is your wife's birthday? Yeah. And your wife's also a minister. Now, granted, Christmas Eve came first. But are you sure? <laughs> uh, yeah, and and she and I are both ministers, and uh, ever since we were first married, we've been working in the church world, and so I am always otherwise occupied on her birthday. It's does, pretty crummy. Does she feel that Christmas steals the thunder of her birthday at all? You know, uh, there's the danger of that. We try not to let it happen, but you know, I I honestly do have like three or four services every Christmas Eve, so we do a birthday brunch for her, not a dinner time with cake Ooh. afterwards. You know, birthday brunch is like an alliteration. That's yeah, that's nice. That's kind of nice, yeah. A BB, if you will. <laughs> so, it's a busy day and uh, I I always feel, you know, conflicted about not being uh, focusing on her as much as I would like to. And then Christmas Day this year was a Sunday, so we also had services that day. Yeah. And then I have a wedding to uh, officiate tomorrow, meaning the rehearsal dinner is tonight. And then New Year's Day, we have a regular Sunday morning services, and then our anniversary is January 4th. Whoa. And, so then, <laughs> and then we have Epiphany on January 8th, which is a different day in the church holiday. And that day's not too heavy on me either, but it's kind of... Uh, uh, a whole lot of things rapid fire right right in a row. So, yeah, I still feel like the momentum of the holidays is still going. I don't really get the week off this year like I sometimes do. Have we ever explained Advent on this podcast before? I don't know. That's a good question. I can give you the real yeah, quick Yeah, I don't summary know if version. I understand what Advent even is. So, I believe it, it, it comes from old terminology meaning waiting, waiting, or for something to arrive. Like, arrival is the advent of something. And so, mm-hmm. so as as we are awaiting the arrival of the birth of the Messiah, we, um, we kind of pay homage to that ahead of time. So, in some ways, it's a tribute to the period of about 400 years between the end of what we refer to as the Old Testament and the beginning of the gospel infant narratives. So within that time period, we reflect on the people of Israel waiting for that Messiah's birth. Mm. And so we go through things. One of the common structures, which we have done for the last few years, is each Sunday you light a different candle in the Advent wreath. There are five of them. The one in the center is the Christ candle, but then around it, there are four different candles, one for hope, one for love, one for peace, and one for joy. When, wait, when do you light these candles? Uh, each, uh, it depends on your family. You know, uh, each Sunday evening, if you're doing it around your table at home, uh, as a church, we do it each Sunday morning uh, within the church. For and how we'll, many Sunday mornings? Four. So you do mm-hmm. you do hope the first Sunday, and then hope and peace the second Sunday, then hope and uh, peace and joy the third. Su- yeah. Up, yeah, and you can mix up the. I mean, none yeah, of this is yeah. set in stone. It's all it's it's kind of like one of those. Uh, uh, optional traditions that different churches do it differently. Some churches do not observe Advent at all because it's not really a scriptural mandate at all. Mm-hmm. So, so it's something that people like. It's a nice buildup. So there's more to the Christmas season than just the day. You know, and it kind of gives some structure to it. I think I'll do it a bit differently next year just because I get tired of those same four. Uh, themes every single year. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. You can focus on a different character in the Christmas narrative, you know, each Sunday and, and kind of do it that way. We'll see. My church is really wonderful in terms of 
being willing to bend traditions. They sound flex. It sounds like a flexible church. Yeah, they're they're really lovely about. It. If I were to show up and say I'm going to do a puppet show this week, they'd be like, "Sure, run with cool. this." <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I'm really I'm very lucky in that regard. So, um, yeah, so it's 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 a good time of running up. Now, some pastors get get real grinchy, and they say you cannot sing Christmas songs until Christmas Day because Christmas is not just a day; it's a season going from Christmas Day to Epiphany which is on, I think this year we'll celebrate it on January 8th, but it's actually supposed to be January 2nd, uh, which gives you 12 days, which gets you right to that Christmas carol. Have, That's why have, we sing the 12 days of Christmas. Oh. And have these Grinchy uh, pastors ever talked to radio stations about their music selection? Because I feel like the Christmas yeah. music starts like right after they Exactly. Yeah, they're, they're fighting the tide here. I mean, <laughs> Christmas officially now starts the day after Halloween. Thanksgiving is fully underwater, and uh, you just got to deal with it. And so these pastors then find themselves saying to their congregation, no, don't celebrate the birth of Jesus. Like, what the heck? What are you doing to yourselves by yeah. saying that? You know, so uh, it's silly. I just, I, I say if someone wants to celebrate Christmas in April, go for it, you know. Yeah. So for, for us, we start singing the Christmas carols during Advent, and it's fun and celebratory. And when does Advent start? Um, four weeks before Christmas Eve. Uh, this year, that would be then the Sunday right after Thanksgiving. Depending on how the calendar fluctuates, oh, it might there might be yeah. an extra Sunday in there you have between. To figure out the four yeah. Sunday, but it's essentially the whole month of December yeah, yeah. leading up. And then, but the actual Christmas season doesn't begin until either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. I forget where they draw that line. It might be midnight Christmas. But the liturgical calendar is also such a, a relic. It's a holdover <laughs> from days of past when the church and the state were. Uh, you know, horribly wed, and they could say something like, now for these next four months, no one can have butter. And they what? would say, sure, that's Lent. Now, that, that's one of the reasons why Lent is a thing before the Easter. The butter is so delicious. Oh, oh, this coming from the guy with kosher heritage, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, try to take bacon away from Christians, we're going to throw a fit. But they used to sacrifice butter and sugar, and that's why pretzels exist. And oh, that's no. a story for another day. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, it, it's it's such an old hold, holdover. And the 12 days of Christmas go until Epiphany, which is when the three kings song actually takes place. If you've heard of the Magi that visit Jesus, there weren't three of them. They weren't kings. But, you know, that's 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 stuff that we get fussy about. We don't have to. But Pretty soon you'll see there's a thing of Santa after that, huh? Santa Claus was there. He gave uh, PlayStations to Jesus. <laughs> yes, and, yeah. I need one of those. <laughs> I need a PlayStation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, that, yeah, that's, um, so my, uh, my Christmas busyness is really uh, sustaining itself until, until another week or so from now. And then I'll collapse a little bit. So this is like um, your busy season. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, but it's it's good. It's a good kind of busy, but it's but but it's busy for sure. How about you? Now Hanukkah this year really coincided with Christmas. Yeah. In a yeah. Close way. I, I, yeah. Uh, so Hanukkah, uh, we Jewish calendar a little weird. It, um, it's kind of a combination of solar and lunar, so mm-hmm. Hanukkah never falls in the same time every year but normally it's after thanksgiving the one year it was in the middle of thanksgiving and we call it thanksgiving uh, oh nice <laughs> yeah but that only happens like one every 400 years or something you know what i mean yeah, so yeah. uh it's like a haley comet kind of situation how often does it happen for real i like 400 years i don't know like, really? it doesn't wow. happen that often okay. yeah it won't happen again in my lifetime that's crazy yeah uh <laughs> and uh but but you know, and then sometimes it happens late. Like, like sometimes it'll like happen well after mm-hmm. Christmas, but usually it happens within the same 
the, the same period of time, late November, December, early January is when Hanukkah kind of yeah. occurs, and it's eight days okay. long. Uh, so it's a little bit like Advent, I, I would feel like. there are It's, it's a multiple-day experience, essentially. Right. And does it lead to a whole lot of extra busyness like Christmas does? No. So Hanukkah is really not important. Right. Not important at all. It's you like, have mentioned that before. Yeah, it's a very podcast, minor yeah. holiday. Mm-hmm. It is gained importance thanks exclusively to Christmas. You're right? welcome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, all the Jews are seeing the, the Christians having so much fun during this time. We wanted to join in. So we found a holiday that works. And we're like, hey, let's do this. Let's make it Hanukkah. You know what right, I mean? Right, right. Uh, Which is why we chose Christmas at the solstice, too. You know, we're like, hey, those yeah. pagans got something good going on. Right. <laughs> right. Let's right. sign really, on the pagans influencing everyone, if you think about it, too hard. But, uh, but yeah, so it's not that it's not that important. The, the thing is, though, is what's so funny is that, like, many Christians that I talk to think that Hanukkah is super important. Right. Just because it coincides with their really important holiday right right and i have to like disabuse him of that of that fact right you know that our big holidays are rosh hashanah yom kippur or are you our biggest holiday is shabbat that we have every week right you know um and so but that's yeah that's kind of our thing but like you know hanukkah has some i don't know some hilarious components too like you know so we light what's called a hanakia Mm -hmm. people also refer to it as a menorah right Um, just to help you out there uh, a menorah actually is not necessarily a hanakia Right, mm-hmm. so Hanukkah has like uh, nine candle holders total, right? It's a candelabra. Yeah. So four on one side, four on the other, one in the middle usually. A menorah has three on one side, three on the other, and one in the middle. It's actually a, a Jewish symbol that you see in the in the Torah in, our, in the Old Testament. Okay. Yeah, but during Hanukkah, it's fine to use those terms interchangeably. Okay. Jews do it, so you can do it too. Menorah Hanukkah. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but how you light them is so fascinating, right? So, like, you know, if you've seen, like, you know, the first night of Hanukkah, you light, like, one candle. Mm-hmm. Second night of Hanukkah, you light two candles, right? And up until you have eight, like, candles. But but the, but the hilarious thing about, about this is that, you know, us Jews, like, we love to argue, yeah. right? And it right. hasn't always been the case. There's this big argument with two ancient rabbis, one called uh, Hillel, the other called Shammai, who never agreed. And so... As so Rabbi Shammai said, we should actually do the opposite. We should have all eight candles lit, or nine, if you will, the yeah. little one, and then go back and go down. Oh, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, what's crazy is that this argument is like it's it's preserved in a Talmud, which is like a, a series of laws and stories in Judaism, right. um, and they don't really tell who wins in the actual Talmud, but yeah. we know who wins because of the way, of our pra- the way we practice yeah. it. Like Hillel wins, and Hillel. Um, Usually, always wins in these arguments. But that doesn't mean he won, because if if you all just decided to start do it, doing it differently, then the other guy won. I know, right? You, it's kind you of a could, mind, you kind could, of like head scratcher. Yeah, you could overturn the verdict. I, I joke that because Shammai hardly ever wins the argument, and Hillel usually always wins these arguments in the in the Talmud. Okay. And I, I joke, what if we were Shammai people and stuff, Hillel people? We, it, Jesus would look, would look a lot different. Yeah, yeah. You know, because um, our Talmud preserves the argument, but doesn't always preserve who won the argument. To, to yeah. our Talmud, it's more important that, to show the argument. Now, that's a really good thing, because the history of Christianity becomes horrible in the early days, particularly when orthodoxy is becoming orthodoxy, you know, mm-hmm. because the, the Jesus thing happened. <laughs> and then a whole bunch of guys started arguing about it. Yeah. And you have some of those letters preserved back and forth of the arguments themselves. And in the good, like the best case scenario, I suppose they learned to disagree and stay together. Sometimes there's a full on schism. And so you have all these different churches that exist now. And that's why, you know, they just branch and branch and branch. And in the worst case scenario, they literally killed each other. 
over yeah. things that nowadays we would say that's ridiculous. You're talking about one letter difference in these two terms and yeah, time to go to war over that. Yeah. <laughs> I would yeah. rather have the argument. I mean, I think I think Jews have perfected what, what I called like non-intimidating anger. Okay. Like like when Jew, when somebody is Jewish is angry, you just don't you're just not intimidated by it. Okay. You know what I mean? They're just <laughs> There's a whole thing about that in Judaism. He's like super angry. You're like, yell, you raise your voice. No one is scared. <laughs> you almost took on a Seinfeld tone of voice right there. Seinfeld like, got that Seinfeld. He's got that tone. Yeah, yeah. Like, so, what are you doing? Yeah. But you're not you're never intimidated by Seinfeld, right? Right. No. He, no. Seinfeld's Jewish. Right. There you go. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Well, that's way better than murder. I gotta say, you guys win on this one. Yeah. <laughs> Arguing uh, argument is better than murder. I mean, we have a kind of a dark our own dark history because we got okay. murdered a lot, so I think maybe we learn just to just to be this way. But that's not you committing the the evil. No, no. Yeah, you experienced evil, but you oh, didn't certainly. but that's yeah, not committing it. Like but, the history when when Elizabeth and I were in seminary and we shared you know, we, we sat side by side in our many church history classes, and we would just always come away so ashamed of our ancestry. I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, they actually were impaling people <laughs> just yeah. because they they had what are relatively minor differences in understanding of the sacraments. Yeah, we don't we don't have that. Yeah, which is I guess nice. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I mean, you I, should you should I, really I, advertise that like right out front of your building. No impaling. Like for four thousand years around. Tell each other in a while. You know, and then off. Yeah. In, the, in, our, in our Bible, there was some in those factories where it says, you know, it has been sixty-five days since our last last accident. Yeah, you can yeah. say it's been four thousand years since our last impalement. Yeah, yeah. We haven't done that in a while. Um, we've been impaled quite a bit, but we haven't impaled yeah, each other. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, I guess there you go. And so, but you know what's funny is that in, in, there's this thing called the December dilemma for Jews because us Jews are just like bombarded by Christmas, right? Right, especially here in the U.S. Like it's just everywhere. Yeah. Um, and and it feels you know and you know we're all used to it, right? And it's just it's just part of life, um, right? Essentially, but uh, it really it really does sort of make you feel like you know this difference between like you know Judaism doesn't necessarily follow the uh, the common American narrative, mm-hmm. right? That, like, mo- many, most Americans do celebrate Christmas. Even though they don't call themselves Christians by default, uh-huh. many Americans celebrate Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've encountered people that just can't fathom people not celebrating Christmas. Right, right. Uh, which I find totally fascinating. Me too. Yeah. Me yeah, too. Yeah, and, and so we, you know, it's just, it's it's a little bit harder to be Jewish yeah. in December. So is there a sense of relief when that ends? I don't know. I mean, like it's. It's not I, like there's a hard and fast end date for when people take down their decorations and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I, I find the decorations look kind of cool. I'm not gonna, you know, I love yeah. the lights. It's I, I love the trees. Those uh-huh. are really nice things. Uh, but uh, you know, it's just like uh, just at all like everywhere on the radio or you right. know you hear right. this sort of like this war on Christmas and you're like, Ugh. really? Because yeah, you're ubiquitous. Can I just say happy holidays and no one judge me for it? You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, that's. That's, that's sort of the things that us Jews think about or, or deal with. There's one weird thing about the Christmas season coming to an end, and even more so, maybe maybe you feel this way. You talked about the um, the Hanukkah and how yeah, w- I got the ch in there Hanukkah, Hanukkah, which w- and the, I forget the names of the two rabbis that argued Hillel, oh, and Hillel and Shammai, yeah. Shammai. So Shammai said you should light them all and then take them down. Yeah, yeah. We light those. Advent candles to symbolize love, hope, peace. And then at the end of the service, I blow them out. And I'm like, am I extinguishing hope? Yeah. We, you know, I spent so much time putting the weight of symbolism on it. Yeah. And even in my Christmas Eve sermon, at the end of it, we 
light a candle from the Christ candle. And I always will say, this is God's light shining through you and the hope lives on in you through these lights and they pass then one candle to the next so the whole room Ooh, is lit cool, by candlelight. Cool. But then at the end they all blow them out. Yeah. And I again I feel like, oh what a what a fumbling of symbolism. But what well, else are you gonna do? You can't keep it going forever. That's what that's what we do actually. It's tradition for once Jews light a candle to the candle has to burn all the way down. Oh boy. Yeah. Well, um, we can't do that with to... these ones because they're the oil-based ones, and they would burn for like a year. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> well, not a year, a candles, but a long time. Go yeah. down real fast. But right. like Shabbat candles take forever. And I have a secret, Matt, just you and me need to know this. Uh-huh. Um, don't tell anyone else about it. Okay. But uh, on Shabbat, when we light the, our Shabbat candles after the service, I sometimes blow them out only because I'm terrified of that fire hazard. Right. You know, yeah. I'm going to leave the building. I don't know where to put them. So, uh-huh. so don't yeah. tell anyone. I promise. <laughs> I know that our listeners are cool and they won't, but I'm yeah. not sure about you, Matt. <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> I'll, I'll use that against you. <laughs> so when what you mentioned that Rosh Hashanah yeah. and Yom Kippur, yeah. Now uh, Rosh Hashanah is essentially the beginning of the calendar again, right? It's a New Year. Yeah. Is we have New Year's coming up, and New Year's Day is a sermon ready to go, right? Because yeah. it's all about restart and a fresh start and new stuff going on. Um, so that was kind of easy for me to write this Sunday's sermon. In fact, I'm, I probably wrote two, and I'll have to take them apart and save one for next year. Um, do you make a big deal out of New Year's no. Day? or no, no. How about Zero any other secular calendar thing, like Thanksgiving or... Because uh, I often try to bring it into what I'm talking about because... Yeah, I don't really acknowledge secular holidays that much in my in my sermonizing, yeah. if you will. There's just too many other things to talk about is, is my problem. <laughs> I, I often find that, too. I don't know if we've talked about this before, too, about the sermon writing process. And I've got a calendar that goes out like three years that I'll think of an idea for a New Year's sermon. So I'll go a year ahead and plop that idea down there. Oh, cool. And that's, so, that's organized. And Jeez. so when it comes around next time through and it's, you know, late December and I've got to write next week's sermon, I've already got a little brainstorm stockpile oh, sitting that's there. That's awesome. So, yeah, that's, it's, it, I didn't do that initially. And I started finding myself approaching Christmas again and being like, I had an idea last year. What was <laughs> what it? Was Darn, it? I know. Oh, no, I so, lost it. So yeah. now every time I read a sermon yeah. that's too long and I start cutting stuff out, I don't delete it. I move it to next year's Christmas right. time and then similar other holidays. So Yeah, and, and like in Judaism, we have like four New Year's, you know. What? I know, right? A little weird, like New Year's for the trees, for example. Well, no wonder Abraham lived to be like 500. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like they digging, were cheating. Digging through all these New Year's. Yeah, yeah. yeah New Year's for kings. New Year's for um, oh for for animals you know like you know for like the cattle it's just that weird we it's, animals have their own New Year yeah they do I mean that's like, awesome but like it's not it's not that weird though if you think about like fiscal years right yeah. so like the government's fiscal year uh-huh. I think is October right. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, our fiscal year is July, you know, so like uh-huh. it's, it's, once you think about it in th- those terms, it's actually right. not that hard. So it's just the animals' fiscal year. They <laughs> and it really, and it was about animal taxing. So it was it actually had like a fiscal component to it. How funny. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. But that's, but that's so like, you know, just the, the, the calendar switch is Rosh Hashanah, right. which is like our big, our big ho- holiday big that we sell. So all of my New Year's sort of like sermons is. Directed at you, you that, put on that day. On okay. that day, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if we'll even have anybody in church because Sunday morning is a tough sell when everyone is out the night before doing New Year's yeah, Eve good, stuff. Good luck with that. Yeah, for sure. And even if you're not out partying, there are always some dingbats that are shooting off fireworks in the neighborhoods yeah. and keeping people awake, which is a real personal pet peeve of mine. So, listeners, do not do that. 
if you want to do fireworks, go somewhere that's not in a residential area. Also, dogs really hate exactly. fireworks. Exactly. They totally, yeah. yeah, it drives our dogs crazy. When my kids were younger, they were really, really upset by it. And I am told, though I haven't verified this, that for a lot of veterans, it can really prompt a PTSD response. Yeah. So, I mean, and really just at the heart of it, it's against the law. It's a big fire hazard because, you know, sure. people who are firing off fireworks recreationally nine times out of ten don't know what the heck they're doing they're just like hey here's a box light it on fire okay and then it it becomes a problem but anyway that's neither here nor there (laughs) that's that's my soapbox firework segue (laughs) (laughs) well and also we should mention in case people are listening from not in alaska fireworks on new year's eve are a big deal up here because we can't really do fireworks on fourth of july because it's daylight all night long and fireworks look lousy up yeah, here on the 4th yeah. of July. It's just, you you see smoke. That's about it. It's kind of like stars in Alaska. You don't really see them that often. You know, it's either yeah. cold, super cold outside. Right. Or it's da- it's daylight all day mm. and all night long. For yeah. sure. So, oof. All right. Well, we have other topics to cover, so I won't segue right into fireworks. Okay. What was the next we, topic we were? Uh, we had considered... Uh, Congressperson elect. Oh right, Santos oh, is it? George Santos, Congress elect. Yeah, so obviously in the news a lot for, um, I would say lying <laughs> quite a bit. I'd um, say that's a fair is it, characterization. Is that, is that one of them sins? Now it only. Yeah. <laughs> don't do that. I that's we that's say one of the commandments our that our two faiths yes, both agree on. Thou that. shalt yeah. not bear false witness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he not only that, but then he lied about lying about it. Because it uh, came back and he said, I never claimed to yeah, be Jewish. Yeah. And then, like, oh, yeah, let's go. Like, yeah. So, so here's the thing like, throughout the entire election, Jewish is what, is what he claimed, right? Like, he said that he was Jewish. Great. And also, not just that word, but the but the the phrase a Jew. Yeah. Without yeah. ish at the end of it, yeah, just yeah. as a Jew. But let's talk about the ish for a moment. Right. Because right? he, he highlights he, that. He, he says we were misinformed, essentially. And he says when he said Jewish, he meant Jew and then hyphen. Ish. Right. That's right. what he's now claiming. Right. Yeah. That he's that apparently there's some Judaism on his mom's side. Yeah. He was raised Catholic. Uh-huh. Um, and that's just super insulting. FYI. Sure. Yeah. Super insulting. That's almost ins- as insulting as someone that says they're Jewish, even though they're like messianic, right? Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. We, we have, us Jews have a hard time with that as well. Sure. Um, and so I just I'm not I'm not thrilled that you know Congress like George Santos would do something like this. Um, and I know the the Republican Jewish organization they've they've disinvited him to all of their programming. Oh really? Yeah. I haven't heard that. Well, yeah. that's good. I'm yeah. It's it's nice to hear that once in a while there are consequences for wrongdoing. Yeah, it's not <laughs> that, so far. That's yeah. rare. Yeah. Yeah, um, but it is the whole Jewish thing is is outside of that context. It is pretty funny, right? To think about like you know, there's, you can be Jewish or you can be Jew-ish, you know? Right. He's, and he's I've not heard the other first community. person made that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've heard that uh, joke before. Yeah. So I don't know what's more offensive: lying about his heritage or stealing someone else's joke. Yeah. How, deri- how derivative? You know what I mean? <laughs> lying and derivative. Oof. Right. One well, thou not be I... derivative. It's like one of our commandments too, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> he, he could have been more original and said, "I'm also part French." So I'm Jew-esque. Oh, that would have been nice. That's that's a fancy kind of Jewish. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I haven't met anyone Jew-esque before. I'm looking forward to finding someone like that. Yeah. No, that's yeah, that's really frustrating, and that's why I also made a point that he did in some of his previous, I think, tweets or written statements say as a Jew, mm-hmm. blah 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 blah. So he didn't always even put the ish at he the end. Pretended to represent our community, and now he's saying, but I never claimed to be a Jew, which is. Ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, because it's yeah. in writing in so many different places. Yeah. Um, so but now what, he's lying why about would the he lying. Want to be Jewish is my question. Like, is his constituency does it have a large number of Jewish 
voters no idea. there. I don't no. know. I mean, New York has a famous amount. He's of in New York. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, depending on I suppose the specific part of New yeah. York, it yeah. could have a lot or fewer. But I, I just don't, like people. A lot of people try to kill us, Matt. You know, I, I don't know why you want to join our our club. Like you know, it's just like <laughs> you know, it, it makes your life a little bit more dangerous yeah. to say that you're Jewish, even though if you're not. Well, this goes back to Seinfeld now because there was a whole episode where a guy they knew. Converted to Judaism just for the jokes. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> and he started making Jewish jokes like right away. Yeah, and Seinfeld yeah. was like, "I think there's a grace period." <laughs> right. That's that's a troubling development. Why would you lie about that, as anybody? But then, even as a politician, you would think you, you got to know it's going to come out. I mean, people look into every candidate's background. Well, I'm surprised it didn't come out before he became elected. You know what I mean? That's true. So that's yeah. on his opponents. Like, what were you guys doing? Did you not, <laughs> you know, did you not Google anything? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's a weird situation. It that really is. Our community is sort of like baffled by. Well, there is a thing of of where perhaps it, from his perspective, might lend some credence. I feel like there's a lot of people who are born into the majority culture or majority race or the more powerful gender in a culture. I think they try to acquire a certain level of legitimacy by having a connection to the minority ones. Mm-hmm. And you picture white people who who well the, well the phrase cultural appropriation, right? I think that's sure. a part of it. It's not just trying to it, it's not appreciating that culture. It's trying to take on some of its authority from where it has come from. And so it, it could be that. I'm just overthinking it, maybe. He's, uh, maybe he's just a jerk. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know what goes through a person's head when they do stuff like that. It's, yeah. it's troubling, for sure. Well, that was an easy one to figure out. Okay. We just we both came down on the same side right away. I know, what, right? What, <laughs> what a maroon. No argument there. <laughs> All right, what's next, Matt? What do we think about next? Well, this is a hard one, and I don't know exactly what to do about it. It kind of uh, dovetails into what I said before about utilizing the candles as a symbol of hope. And then what do I do when I blow that candle out, okay. right? And does it then lose, is that somehow, somehow harmful? And along with that, I remember an event that happened many years ago when I was living in New Jersey and a, uh, a bag full of written prayers washed up on shore. And people were like, "What? where did these come from? And they were able to trace back based on some things that were written, figure out what church it was from. And the pastor had gotten these written prayers and had put them in the ocean at one point. And they're like, oh, he just dumped them. How heartless. So what a terrible thing. He then came back and said, well, no, the, the I was kind of, you know, like a burial at sea. I was trying yeah. to do it in a respectful way. And when I did that, I said a prayer over them and released them into, you know, to, sure. to decompose. I didn't realize it would wash back. I think maybe they were in a biodegradable thing. I don't know the yeah. whole background, but it was this whole back and forth of how do you dispose of something that had at one point been held as sacred? Oh, we have this problem with Judaism, too. Right. Uh, there's an there's a, there's a interesting thing where uh, anything that has the word of God's name on it mm-hmm. can't be disposed in normal ways. Now, right. not all Jews feel this way, right? Sure, uh, yeah. Uh, but there's something called the Geniza, which is where you're supposed to deposit these uh, papers with God's name on it. And in fact, okay. in Alexandria, there was a famous ancient Geniza found... And its liturgy was there, and it was used, and it was an amazing discovery. Wow. We learned more about ancient Jewish liturgy because of this p- depository of essentially trash. 
So right. so that trash is placed in there and it just remains. It just remains. So it must be a very large vessel. It was, it was I can't yeah, I mean, it was like a building size. Oh wow, a okay. Small building. Big, yeah. And on, on discovering it was a huge find. It was awesome. Right. Right. And so we learned a lot about our own our own liturgy in that process. And okay. so um, you know, I uh, there are like what I'd call Geniza policies, like different communities of different different kinds of policies but uh one one way to dispose of papers with gods on them is actually put them under a coffin before the coffin goes down wow yeah. what an interesting idea yeah and so that is like so fraught with meaning yeah right? exactly like this right. symbolism like, like this is, is yeah this is a this is the, one of the best ways to dispose mm-hmm. of this one of our you know yeah uh, it's aligned with death essentially like you know these were th- these papers have the word God in them, and we're no longer using them. Like we don't know what to do with them. Mm-hmm. So you know, to us, you know, death. We, I mean, Jews get death. I mean, we're we're, sure. we're good at death, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for better or for worse. And so, but that was that's part of the that's part of the strategy. Is that, okay, let's get these these pieces of papers. Yeah. Um, and so, so you'll do you see that. do you do that currently at your? I uh, I think our community has done it before. It hasn't happened. Well, I've been a rabbi, um, but not everyone in our community also believes that it's like you know if you photocopy. That was Bible, my next question. Like, like I that, can understand if yeah, it's a yeah. like the 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 Torah from up front. If that is like a, a long-standing used one, but it's time to get rid of it for some reason, to do something big like that. But yeah, if it's just like you have a special birthday party and someone prints out a prayer and it's on there, would you have to treat that? that I way? would. I mean, I don't. I okay. don't. I mean, I, I'm very loose about okay. about it. Um, but you know, if like you're pr- like you know, I have some prayer books, and if they get all misused or whatever. Uh-huh. I'd, I, I would be, I'd struggle to throw that out on a trash can. I'd want to think right. about it. Right. Yeah. And yeah. that's happened here with Bibles for sure. Um, one time my dog ate the first, uh, ate basically the Pentateuch, just ate the first five chapters. Did, did, yeah. did this happen during seminary? Did your dog eat your homework? It was pre-seminary. <laughs> and it was, yeah, he, he ate, I think really just the first two books, but tore him right out. And then, yeah, so then that was funny, and there's a whole bunch of, you know, questions about, and a, a good puns about dogma at that point. Yeah, but then, <laughs> dogma, uh, <laughs> I get it. But then here you have this Bible that's no longer usable, yeah, right? It's, yeah. just, it's just trashed, and so do you just throw it away, yeah. or do you do something special for it? And we eventually did just throw it away. Um, Protestants in particular look at that book as a book, right? It's just like we look at the church building as a building. It's not sacred any more than any other places. Yeah. God is everywhere. But it just feels weird, right, to check right. it. Right, And I've been present at a, just once when there was a, um, a flag that had become tattered and not usable anymore. And there's a whole ceremony where you fold it according to the process and say a few words and burn it, but in a in a non-protesty kind of way, right? <laughs> Got it. <laughs> and while I don't, way. I don't hold the flag as sacred, but it's you know it's held as super important for so right. many that right. that's that's one thing. And actually, here final Seinfeld reference of the day. Nice. There was one episode where he got a birthday card from his grandma. He reads it and just throws it away. <laughs> and I think maybe Elaine is there. She's like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "I'm." I'm throwing it away. I read it, and now it's and now I'm done with it. And she goes, "No, you have to. You're supposed to put it on your mantle." And he's like, "For how long? <laughs> Three weeks?" He's like, "All right, then I throw it away." <laughs> She's like, "Yeah, yeah, but you have what to keep great, it first. What a great Jewish and, and I think that's kind of it's kind of what I'm feeling now. So the reason I'm asking about this is we have here in my office, as you can see, all these as flags. I can see, right. You can see, yes. I can see it. For you listeners. <laughs> Poor listeners. Mr. Yeah. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea, we have flags in my office. Uh, they're just uh, squares of cloth that are maybe, you know, like 10 inches by 10 inches or so that Abram and I used in a ceremony here 
in the about a year into COVID, would you say? Yeah, it was winter yeah. time, so it would have been probably March of 21, January of 21, somewhere in that That's ballpark. Right, yep. And we had large uh, clotheslines up, and people came. We said a prayer, and each flag, in theory, was to represent 100 people who had died in the state of Alaska from COVID. And I, I'm sure I got the numbers wrong, but these flags represented people's lives who were lost. Yeah. Um, and they stayed up for, I think I left them up for three weeks and then I took the display down, but I found myself with these flags that had at this ceremony been imbued with this meaning. And now I don't know what to do with them. And they're here in my office and they have been in my office in this giant basket. And I don't want to just chuck them cause that feels wrong, but is that okay? Maybe it is, you know, maybe it's like the printed out words that say God's name on them if it's for a not important ceremony, but it was an important ceremony to me uh, for this instance. So yeah, so I'm, I'm considering at this point, maybe we have some sort of community gathering where we burn these when we feel it's time to call the pandemic over. I think that would be premature right now. Yeah, yeah. I, I've never been too many privy to burning ceremonies before, yeah. Matt. I mean, I, I, I respect the fact that we burn the flag when, when it's you know no longer usable, mm-hmm. um, as and there so there is a level of respect to burning something. Yeah, uh, but it's interesting. Like, how do you dispose? Right, and burning. Yeah, I agree that burning is not necessarily the right symbol for this because it seems sort of terrible, <laughs> right? It's like, oh, here's this. But again, it's also somewhat like a cremation of could a body. We, could we bury them? Oh, we could. Um, Couldn't be now, of course. We have to wait until, you know, when the, when the pandemic. Old, oh, yeah, when true. When the yeah. longer frozen. Or yeah. the pandemic is over. Again, for those, of you, for those of you not here in Anchorage, we can't reach the ground at this point. Right. There's about a mile of snow between us and the ground. Um, yeah, I, I'm just not sure how to dispose of these. Uh, on a parallel thread, each week in church, we have um, green prayer cards, these pieces of paper that look like about the size of a traffic ticket. And people write prayers on there, and I pray for them during the service. And then for the rest of that week, I pray for them daily. Well, that's kind of you. And I haven't thrown one away yet <laughs> since so I've been here. you got? I've been here nine years. I've got an entire drawer full of them. And about every couple of months, I wrap them up in rubber bands and add it to the stack. I have an art project in mind, what I might make something with them. And if not, then I probably will burn them at some point because um, it just feels wrong to put them in the trash. And so I find myself having a great deal of empathy for that pastor in New Jersey who set them out to see. I can see why that would feel appropriate, you know, Um, kind of in a way the sea is so grand in its scale. I could say this feels like I'm giving it over to God, right? I guess so. A piece of me feels like it's just like pollution though, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, and so I I won't do that here for one thing because I saw how it backfired on that guy, (laughs) right? I'm like someone surfing the board tide and they're like, hey, look. (laughs) (laughs) Or actually, it would get caught up in a salmon net by somebody. That's how we would get caught here in Alaska. Yeah, yeah, so I'm just not sure. I, I do have an art project in mind for those, but first I have to kind of paint them all over because they are confidential. When I prayed them on Sunday morning, I omit all the names. Uh, sure, and so sure. um, so I'll have to find a way to to bleach them out or something. So it's just the paper, but not the words. So, but like, but for you, like, like the creating, uh, turning it into an, an art project provides that sort of that meaningful experience. Yeah. Of taking something that's more than just a piece of paper. Yep. And I think people, everyone has a problem like this once in a while. Yeah. Right? Where you have a thing that's more than what it is and, you know, that has, has right. a meaning attached to it. And you're not quite sure how to, like, 
use that meaning with the object. Right. Like, yeah. oh, I can't throw that T-shirt away. My my dad gave it to me, and yeah, yeah and he's yeah. been gone for X number but of years. This is why I love T-shirt quilts for that exact. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. My mother-in-law has made some of those. It's <laughs> right, really cool. Right. Yeah, right. That's a great way to dispose of T-shirts. Is right. To use them in a quilt. Yep. So they stay alive a little bit longer. Yeah. You know. But eventually, you got to throw that quilt away. Yeah, or your dog tears it up. Uh oh. Yeah. Sorry, that's a whole personal thing. But yeah. Anyway, this was a bad <laughs> podcast for our dogs today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dog confessional. <laughs> um, but I. So we have a dilemma, listeners. Like we we have these prayer flags um, that are you know they're all different shapes and colors and sizes essentially. Yeah. But they're all strung together, and we don't know what to do with them. Right. So I think maybe over the course of the next couple of podcasts, we'll probably talk about how we decided. And here's a wrinkle. Yeah. Some of them are miniature Alaska state flags. Oh, no. So if we burn them, is that inappropriate to some? Right, right. Oh, boy. And now I'm going to go through and write God's name on some of them just so you're in a, an extra kerfuffle. Extra pickle yeah. there, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, so we're going to have to decide how, yeah. how we want to deal with these. So we'll, so we'll go I, on a journey and try to figure it out. Yeah. We'll keep you all informed. Sounds good. Uh, but we haven't reached the conclusion yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I guess next uh, next subject. So, Matt, did you watch the World Cup in Qatar? No, I did not. And it was not an act of protest. I was just busy, and I don't often watch a lot of sports. We don't have cable anymore, and so sometimes the live stuff eludes me. Yeah, I didn't watch it as a form of protest. I was not thrilled with the human rights violations that occurred in Qatar over the building of the stadiums. And the right. Stuff. So if I had access to watch it, I don't know if I would have chosen <laughs> to. You yeah. should have it's like, it's like purchased all the things you needed to watch it and then choose not to That way to they watch still it. get the money. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I agree. The whole circumstance of, of doing that is, is a real problem. The way they build it and utilize labor that's close to indentured servitude. Um, yeah, and, and that it's in a country that has such human rights violations. It's, it's a real problem. And, and the real head-scratcher is that this year's World Cup was, like, wildly popular and successful, Right, mm-hmm. like it was. I mean, I mean, it had an incredible amount of viewership. Right, and um, and Argentina winning was like an awesome thing, you know. Yeah, uh, and so I, I recognize like how you know how how fun it is to experience the World Cup. Uh huh. Um, but you know, it's for me, it's so tainted by Qatar's um, Qatar's human rights violation. And it's not just the World Cup. Um, that same type of ethical gymnastics happens every four years with the Olympics too. It's the same process of building a giant village and all these venues with, you know, low wages for the people that build them. And then after the whole thing comes through, the wealthy people have gotten most of the money. And the then they're left afterwards with all these weird facilities just going into decay. Um, so it makes a lot of money for a lot of people, but it doesn't really help the communities that put on the event. And it's under the guise of some big shared moment. When it's not even really that in an international level, particularly if we're going to a place that's violating human rights, it's like that, that doesn't it, it doesn't stand up to any scrutiny. And what I think it comes down to is essentially people just like the game and they don't care about all the other stuff. And so for a lot of people, it's easier to switch off that ethical conscience switch in their brain that says, oh, sure, the stadium was built with slavery, but I really like the game. 
I, I mean, this is life for you, right? Yeah. Like, you know, I think it's hard to be holier than thou mm-hmm. when every little thing has, is possibly connected right. to um, something that's, you know, against our values. Right, right. And I think not just the Olympics and the World Cup, but also on a weekly basis, that's one of the reasons I've stopped watching pro sports is because so much of it does engage in exploitation and super questionable business practices from an ethical standpoint. The CTE thing when the players in the NFL get multiple yeah. concussions and the long-term problems that that leads to and they're just looking away from it, um, It's it can be really hard to, to even care. When I see a great play on the field, I'm like, that guy now is going to have brain problems for the rest of his life. It's not fun anymore. Yeah. It's not fun to watch. But on the flip side, I mean, sports is also an excellent venue to express sort of... Um, the need for, I would, I would say, uh, civil rights. You know, it or th- could be. <laughs> it, you know, but it has potential to do that. I mean, I, I mean, in some ways, like, you know, for, I would say, the black community, it provides an opportunity for many of them to, like, pr- get into a place of, I would say, influence, where they can bring to attention to some of the issues that their community uh, have to deal with. Yeah, I mean... It could. Yeah. yeah. And there yeah. have been some people who have used it that way. But I think if you look at it as a percentage of any given population, it's a really narrow, narrow uh, sliver of that population that ever gets to a position of having public influence. Right. I mean, right. how many how many people get to the NFL? Very, <laughs> very many. few. Yeah, and yeah. of those who make it there, how many are even recognized by name? Right. There are, you know, what, a couple hundred players in the NFL. Could I name more than 10? Probably not. And yeah. then even within that, of those, let's let's imagine you could name 50 of them. Of those 50, how many have any sort of social cause whatsoever? And of those ones that do, how many of those are social causes that you would care about? And of those that you care about, how many of those would you actually support? <laughs> wow. Right? So it's wow. a pretty wow. narrow thread of influence. <laughs> and for all the people that do something good with their influence, like Jesse Owens raising his fist on the uh, Olympic podium – how many others are out there that get arrested for some horrible thing? And then the next week, you're like, oh, hooray, go Steelers. But your quarterback totally was a sexual assaulter. Yeah. I have so many friends who are still Steelers fans throughout all the years of uh, Ben Roethlisberger. And I'm like, how do you, how do you cheer for this guy? He, he assaulted people. And just because he got away with it because he's wealthy— and he's good at sports. And he's good at sports. Yeah. yeah. And so, therefore, we're just like, okay, he's our guy. We, we're so happy for him. Way to go. Here's your Super Bowl ring. No. No. I, I just don't get it. I don't I – don't, maybe it's because I don't love the game as much as them. And if they love the game so much, then they're fine to cheer for the rapist. I don't know. It, it's, it's a mystery to me. I guess – but, yeah, I mean, p- people do love – I mean, love the game. Uh, and um, even if the game is less than honest, it's, it's often beyond their control. Right. Yeah, that's fair. But there's lots of things I love. I mean, I love uh, comedy movies. You know, I would. But if my, for instance, I loved Louis uh, Louis C.K.'s comedy. Sure. Really loved it. And then it came out that he was sexually assaulting people, and I have not listened to him since because I don't love him that much. I don't love him enough to say, well, I'm going to overlook the rape just to get some laughs. I don't understand why people can just overlook the rape just to, to watch a game. 
Yeah. And then people have said, yeah, but it's not just the game. It's, it's you know, my family and I bond while we do this thing together and watch it. I'm like, yeah, fine. Bond doing something else. There's, Watching James Bond, for example. Right. There are a million sports you could watch. There are a million other activities. There are a million plays you could see, a million concerts to go to. If it's the bonding you're looking for, you can find another venue. You can find another activity to bond during um, – or just go play the game yourself. Just go outside and play. <laughs> you know, it is, it is fascinating because like, I feel like um, the whole the whole bonding component is mm-hmm. obvious. Like you know, my family and we're not terribly into sports. Yeah. Uh, but I've seen like you know, or, or hung out with with families that just they just love it. Yeah. Right. And and it is like it is a big deal. It is bonding. They talk about it all the time. Yeah. Like it's a and so you know they're fr- they're they're frustrated when their um, team or a player on the team or the owner of the team does something awful or horrible. Yeah. But it it doesn't derail them from the experience that they gain from you know these sports and these events. Right. Uh, and and so I, I just think it's way more complicated than just saying you know, turn to something else uh, when they when this is like a part of their yeah. identity, you know, and it's hard to just let go of a, a component of your identity to like yeah. to do something else. I can see why it would be hard. Yeah. But we are capable of doing that, which is hard. <laughs> you know, I don't, uh, there, there's, there's always things that are hard to do. The, the, then it becomes that calculus of, is it worth doing something that's this difficult? You know, how much does it mean to you and how much are you willing to ignore in order to... I mean, with the World Cup, it was so many people. <laughs> right, yeah. So, so many people. I, I'm just curious as to how much you have to love soccer to be willing to give money to that practice of slavery. Sure. Knowingly, yeah. you know. Um, and, you know, it, like you said, there's there's all these unintended unintended consequences. And I ordered gifts from Amazon this year for Christmas, Right. All right, so I paid into a system there that's engaged in some horrible practices. Yeah. So, so maybe it's like that for people, and they're like, "Well, I it's just something that I had to do for expedience' sake, for maintaining the traditions of giving stuff at Christmas time, and I can't always buy what I want to locally, and so I I made that choice, right? And I buy, I buy meat and eat meat, <laughs> and so that has a harmful effect on the environment. I drive a gasoline-powered car. So so we all do these things that are ethically questionable uh, when you look at the further out experiences. Where it really is a, a problem for me is that it's something that, to me, personally, is so extraneous as watching a game. Mm-hmm. And I just for other people, it's not... It doesn't feel extraneous to them. I think for them... Like you said, it's closer to their their identity and their religion. So you're saying being a sports fan is uh, religion? Uh, I think for a lot of people it has a lot of similarities. That, for instance, they will stick by it even if it's wrong. You know, if, if it came out that your quarterback just went out in the street and, and murdered somebody, they'd be like, oh, well, I hope he does well on Sunday. And, and they would stick with it. And even if their team is literally in last place for 10 years running, they'll still say, my team's the best. No, it's not. I mean, mathematically, it sucks. But they'll <laughs> stick with it, and they'll flare, fly their flags, they'll wear the clothing. Yeah, they have yeah. their chants, they have their songs. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a religious experience to be a diehard fan for something, for sure. And I think it really expresses itself the most when it, it outweighs their ethics. Uh, yeah, but I just like... Like when values clash, right? So yeah. uh, you you love sports, but but you don't love 
what some of those, some of the athletes or whoever, someone within that sports mm-hmm. um, group do, then like what, like I just I don't think everyone's reaction is don't watch the sports, right? Well, there's a, t- a double side to that. One, uh, do you still enjoy it? Like if 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 it's the murderer as quarterback, I'm not accusing any particular players, but let's imagine hypothetically, yeah. the the quarterback is a murderer and everyone knows it. It's on tape, it's on video, and so. Can you still enjoy that when he wins and everyone's cheering for him and he's getting congratulations? Could that still be enjoyable to you? And if so, why? And if yeah. it's not still enjoyable to you, then why stick with it? Why keep on watching if the whole time you're thinking, yeah, but look at that guy. He literally just murdered someone. The family is grieving right now. And while it might seem like a weird example, it's not because that has absolutely happened with rapists where the rapist is up there getting the kudos. Mm-hmm. And how must his victims and the victims' families feel about that when they yeah. see this person just getting getting the front car in a ticker tape parade for the whole city? They're like, "Yay, that guy brought us such pride! Pride for what? First of all, in your city, for for playing this game and for for gobbling up millions of your dollars, but but <laughs> the consumerism of it, yeah, ne- yeah. <laughs> nevertheless, it's it's this guy that committed this horrible, horrible, atrocious act." And everyone is celebrating them because he was pretty good at throwing the ball. Yeah. Uh, I just don't understand how the how those scales balance out. Well, uh, if you want to watch something that's, that's pretty good, cool, uh-huh. uh, my family watches um, Marble Runs on YouTube. I have watched those. Yeah. They're yeah. amazing. <laughs> and never once has one of those marbles murdered anybody. <laughs> <laughs> to my knowledge, yeah. To my yeah. knowledge, we get like really into it. Like I think like, the commentary can be so yeah. intense. And, yeah. yeah, Greg Woods is the commentator of the ones that we watch, and like he's awesome. And, That's hilarious. Yeah. If you haven't watched Marble Run videos, go to YouTube uh, right away. Jelly and... Jelly Marble Runs is what, what we're into. Okay, we each have our own teams. Really, we, each, we have teams that we love, and we have the teams that we hate. And we all have different teams we love and hate. Yeah, yeah, um, and uh, we get deep into it. Yeah, so. yeah. So I, I, I mean, it has nothing to do with actual sports, but the, you know, that's like my, my, my that's, as, that's as close as I get. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> well, okay, I don't think we're gonna solve this whole um, sports and you know and values problem. We today, will. We'll Matt. solve it next time. Okay. We'll, by next time, we will have the solution. Guaranteed. Good luck, us. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, you made it this far. Thank you for listening. Uh, thank you so much. To What Divines Us. And it's a big thank you to James Brown for our logo and the Mutra Bros for our music. Uh, and Matt, how do we watch you in action? Uh, every Sunday morning, you can watch us at 11 a.m. on our Facebook page, our YouTube page, our church homepage, or best of all, you can show up in person here at First Presbyterian Church, 616 West 10th Avenue, Anchorage, Alaska, 99501. Oh, wow. You really Send didn't... it to Zoom. <laughs> Do you remember that show? <laughs> I'm dating myself. Uh, yeah. Sorry. I don't, remember. I don't know the show. Yeah. Uh, there was a show called Zoom, and kids danced around, and they, you could send in letters. And they, at the end, it was Boston, Mass, 02134. Send it to Zoom. It's the only reason I still know the zip code in Boston. <laughs> Some random trivia for you right there. <laughs> uh, well, that's great, Matt. And uh, this is all First Pres, right? Like on YouTube? And yeah, all stuff. First yeah. Presbyterian Church yeah. of Anchorage, Alaska. Yeah. Where do we find you? Oh, so you can find me on YouTube as well, Alaska Judaism Media. Um, 6 p.m. Friday night is when we have services, and you can also just show up too. We're in person as well, nice. uh, and uh, and also Saturday morning. But uh, anyways, so thanks again for listening. Yeah.